You can find inspiring stories almost anywhere. For instance, check out the co-founders of Girls Who Do Interiors. This Miami-based design company was started by three friends when they were still in school. And right from the start, they turned to Chase for Business for everything from banking and payment acceptance to credit cards. And they handle them all in one place with the Chase mobile app. It's so important to have that kind of help when you're just starting out. Learn more at chaseforbusiness.com. Make more of what's yours. Chase mobile app is available for select mobile devices. Message and data rates may apply. J.P. Morgan Chase Bank N.A. member FDIC. The most innovative companies are going further with T-Mobile for Business. The PGA of America is helping lower scores and elevate fan experiences with AI coaching tools and 5G-connected cameras. AAA is getting more drivers back on the road fast with location telematics. And the Las Vegas Grand Prix is powering race day operations with 5G connectivity, giving fans an experience at the speed they deserve. This is accelerating innovation with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at tmobile.com slash now. This podcast is sponsored by Cloud Optimizer. As a business owner or IT manager, are your cloud investment costs going up and you don't know why? It's time for Cloud Optimizer. As you migrate your business to the cloud, what you're spending and why you're spending it can get a little hazy. But Cloud Optimizer clears up the mystery and puts the cloud to work for you. Cloud Optimizer starts by analyzing usage patterns, right-sizing resources, leveraging discounts you may not be aware of, implementing automation, and much more. And by reducing unnecessary expenses and maximizing performance, Cloud Optimizer guarantees you a savings of five times what you spend for their service. As you utilize cloud-based services more and more, you don't have to lose sight or control of your spend. You can stay agile, streamline your costs, and optimize your performance, plus save significant money with Cloud Optimizer. Make the cloud work for you with Cloud Optimizer. Get a free assessment and find out how much you can save by going to cloudoptimizer.com. Go to cloudoptimizer.com for your free assessment. That's cloudoptimizer.com. I had a job at a law firm in New York. Ended up definitely not wanting to go to law school or be a lawyer, but I... Why? Part of it is the dress code. I just (laughs) was like, I can't wear these suits every day. Hey, listeners of Other People's Pockets, it's your host here, Maya Lau, and the time has come for me to be interviewed because it's only fair if I get to be nosy about everyone else's finances that I be open about my own. In this episode, I'm interviewed by Jane Marie, co-founder of the podcast studio Little Everywhere, which co-produces this podcast. And she's also the host of the much-loved podcast The Dream, which is where I first fell in love with her work and which has a new season coming out in the next few months. In this episode, I break down how much I get paid for this podcast and how my income has changed over the years. And I have to say, it did feel a little weird to talk about my finances because it sheds a light on third parties, namely my family and my husband, who didn't necessarily elect to have elements of their money situation aired in public, but luckily they're supportive of this project. And because my financial situation has changed a lot in the past two or three years. And I think my identity and my sense of my own relatability haven't totally caught up to that yet. But I am glad to be able to do this. And it was a great opportunity to really feel what my guests must feel. So to all the guests who have been on this show or who will be on this show, thank you. I'm Maya Lau, and this is Other People's Pockets, 
the show where I ask people how much they make and how their finances work so that the questions we all have about money can be a little bit less of a mystery. All right, Maya, let's do this. Welcome to your own show. Thank you. (laughs) It's great to be here. Uh, Can I get your name and tell me a little about yourself, what you do? My name is Maya Lau, and I created and also host this podcast that you're listening to called Other People's Pockets. And I am a journalist and a researcher and uh, have done many things, but now one of the main things I'm doing is this podcast. One of the main things? What else are you doing? Um, I also have a company, and I do financial investigation-type research through that. I So I was a journalist, an investigative reporter for many years, and then left that. And I only mention that because like a lot of the skills of, of reporting are the same in other industries. And so now I've applied that to this whole world of um, financial investigation. So like one of my clients is um, an investment firm, and I help them research different investments, different people behind investments, like trying to get to the heart of like understanding a company or something like that. Okay. And how much do you make doing that? So last year, that was one of my main sources of income, and I made around $200,000 a year last year. Mm-hmm. I don't know that I'll make that much this year just because now the podcast is picking up and I have, you know, like yeah. I need to dial up and dial down different things. But yeah. And then on this show, how much do you make? So on this show, I my contract is for 35 episodes. That's how many episodes are in a season. Mm-hmm. And we do a weekly show. So um, that that's really less than a year. But so if per season, I'm being paid, I think, around $122,000 as a base payment. Mm-hmm. And then um, I get revenue share. So I make 25% of any ads, subscriptions, um, if we do events, uh, merchandise, anything like that. And then there's, um, you know, separate, this hasn't happened, but like separate percentages for if I were to ever do a book or a TV show or anything based on that. but So the derivative works or IP stuff. Yes. Can I tell you a secret? Yeah. You make so much more money than me. Like so um, much more money. You mean overall money. or for the podcast? I mean, I'd probably in a year maybe make what you make on the podcast. Uh-huh. Yeah. Maybe. But I don't know. You make so much more money than me. I don't I don't know that I'm going to make that amount again, you know, like because just because of like how much do I want to work or like how much can I work? How much do you want to work? I mean, I, I work full time, but I don't I don't like hustle and grind the way I used to. So like right now, how much I work is is how much I want to work. Um, but I just don't I don't want to like be like, oh, my God, it's 9 p.m. and I need to, like, work for two more hours to finish something. I mean, I there's obvious reasons why not, but can you tell me why not? Was there a moment where you were, where you, I don't know, brought it up in therapy or, like, wrote it in your plan or, like, I'm not going to do this anymore? 
Well, I mean, I had a child three years ago, and that has been a huge shift in my life. And I just don't, I mean, I, you know, taking care of a child is kind of another job. You know, it's like when she comes home, then I have that job. And and my husband does too. But like, you know, that takes a lot out of you. And so by 9 p.m., I'm completely exhausted. And And I think I just have a different outlook on grind culture. Like, I think it was probably necessary for me when I was younger mm-hmm. and had to prove myself. And, and I had more energy in my 20s. And I loved it. Like, I loved that I stayed at the office until 8 p.m. or whatever. But um, yeah, now I'm just like, you know, I really want to work smarter, not harder. And like, I have a life mm-hmm. and I just don't have the energy that I used to. And I want to like, now I feel kind of, I'm equally ambitious, but now I'm more ambitious about achieving quote unquote work-life balance. Like that feels like also a hard thing to achieve. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So I might as well be ambitious about that. Will you take me back to um, your first job? Um, I think my first job, I was in middle school. I don't know when, like, child labor laws <laughs> began, but I think I was in middle school or maybe I was in early high school. I worked very part-time at this local gift store wrapping presents, and it was only in the holidays that I did that particular job. But when they had a bunch of people buying stuff and needed help wrapping presents, I would do that. How much money did you make wrapping presents? It would have been minimum wage, which I don't remember what that was. And what year was this? This was in the late 90s. Okay. Yeah. So you're wrapping presents. What's your next job? The next job I had was at Bernini's Bistro in La Jolla. La Jolla, the town of Dr. Seuss. Is it? Oh, yes, it is. How do you know that? Uh, it's famous for being that. It looks like a Dr. Seuss book. Like, you know, like all the crazy trees and the weird houses yeah. on cliffs. And like, if you read any of the Dr. Seuss books, yeah. it looks just like the <laughs> 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 um, With walruses and weird or whatever those sea lions are. And, you know, lions. like the houses up on the cliff and like weird yes, topiary yes, looking yes. bushes and dolphins and stuff. I don't know. And just for our listeners who are not familiar with Southern California, aside from La Jolla being the home of Dr. Seuss, La Jolla mm. is so bougie. Yes. It La Jolla is, like is very fancy, rich people town. It's where the Kardashians' grandma lives. Oh, that I didn't know. You know all this La Jolla trivia that I didn't know. <laughs> so, yeah, La Jolla is a very—it's right on the water. Um, La Jolla Shores is one of, like, the best beaches considered one of the best beaches in, in San Diego just because it's very clean and and like the waves are nice and it is a very yeah it's it's a very kind of ridiculous but but beautiful um area I'm assuming you lived nearby La Jolla you grew I up- lived probably a 20 minute drive on the freeway to the east mm-hmm. yeah I lived in it in an area that was like a suburban it was like upper middle class, mm-hmm. um, but definitely not like. So I actually went to church in La Jolla. That is why I was even like in that area. 
and like meeting the like La Jolla High kids at like there like there was like a different mm-hmm. <laughs> a different um level of like wealth and water polo-ness um but yeah do you remember having feelings about the rich kids yeah i mean i think that then i felt like a lot of envy around stuff like that but in high school when i had the job at the restaurant i think i felt kind of like those kids are just really different like i i just didn't identify with them Mm -hmm. i didn't identify with the water polo crowd. <laughs> um, I was a little bit more like alternative. That's very specific. That by the way, school. I don't so think a lot of people I, uh, identify with right, the water like polo the cross crowd. <laughs> so I think I just kind of was like, okay, whatever. But I was, I was aware of it for sure. Will you tell me a little about your upbringing around money? Like, sure. well, you told me that you guys were upper middle class. Yes. And I that sticks in my head just because I remember asking my mom what class we were at some point growing up. And that's mm-hmm. what she said. And so I just take it as fact. Like, yeah, OK, that's what we must have been. At the same time, for us, there was a lot of treading water that went on to maintaining our upper middle class status, especially after my parents got divorced when I was around eight. And mm-hmm. You know, at one point, my mom had her own business and was not bringing in much money, and we barely held on to our house. Um, you know, my mom really worked her ass off, and, and really both my parents did, to maintain what we had. Um, my mom was putting absolutely everything on credit cards at one point, so mm-hmm. there was just a lot that was uh, kind of holding up the, the appearances and kind of keeping it all going, even when it wasn't always going so well. I've interviewed many successful people over the years, and one thing I find fascinating is many of them don't consider themselves business savvy. Take the owners of Tight Knit Brewing. They turn to Chase for Business for everything from banking and payment acceptance to credit cards and do all of it in one place with the Chase mobile app. And that's helped these brew-loving friends turn a passion into a business. Learn more at chaseforbusiness.com. Make more of what's yours. Chase mobile app is available for select mobile devices. Message and data rates may apply. J.P. Morgan Chase Bank, N.A., member FDIC. The most innovative companies are going further with T-Mobile for Business. The PGA of America is helping lower scores and elevate fan experiences with AI coaching tools and 5G-connected cameras. AAA is getting more drivers back on the road fast with location telematics. And the Las Vegas Grand Prix is powering race day operations with 5G connectivity, giving fans an experience at the speed they deserve. This is Accelerating Innovation with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at tmobile.com slash now. This podcast is sponsored by Cloud Optimizer. As a business owner or IT manager, are your cloud investment costs going up and you don't know why? It's time for Cloud Optimizer. As you migrate your business to the cloud, what you're spending and why you're spending it can get a little hazy. But Cloud Optimizer clears up the mystery and puts the cloud to work for you. Cloud Optimizer starts by analyzing usage patterns, right-sizing resources, leveraging discounts you may not be aware of, implementing automation, and much more. And by reducing unnecessary expenses and maximizing performance, Cloud Optimizer guarantees you a savings of five times what you spend for their service. As you utilize cloud-based services more and more, you don't have to lose sight or control of your spend. 
You can stay agile, streamline your costs, and optimize your performance, plus save significant money with Cloud Optimizer. Make the cloud work for you with Cloud Optimizer. Get a free assessment and find out how much you can save by going to cloudoptimizer.com. Go to cloudoptimizer.com for your free assessment. That's cloudoptimizer.com. So my parents are both retired, but my dad was an architect and a construction manager, and my mom was a public television producer and then later a university administrator. Yeah, I definitely remember there being one point where there was this road, this big road that we were near, and if you crossed to the other side of the road, there was... um, like these like McMansions and like bigger mm-hmm. houses. And I had a friend over there and I was probably, I want to say I was like nine or something. And I went over to my friend's house and played there and she just had this huge house. It was just amazing. And my dad was driving me home from the play date and I was kind of like, oh, like, why can't we live over on that side of the road? And, and you know, at so-and-so's house, we did this and this and this. And he was so um, stern with me mm-hmm. and like, Maya, like, you have no idea the sacrifices your mom and I have made to have the house that we do have. Like, don't you ever, like, I don't ever want to hear this conversation again. This is absolutely ridiculous. And he's right because like, life was fine. <laughs> yeah. And I feel like everybody, no matter what status they had, like, they always have some story about like, well, like, I wasn't like the these kids other people that I knew growing up and it's like yeah but you were also fine so that's also me like I felt growing up certainly when I was in high school I was like oh this is so vanilla and like so boring but um I would not say it was like Truman showy or like it wasn't I don't know also like so the celebrity from my neighborhood is Kyle Mooney um the comedian um so I would love, like, maybe he needs to, like, I, I need, like, another perspective because, like... Let's get him on the show. I want to call yes, Kyle Mooney right I now. Love, I would love his take on... He, like, has some comedy about growing up in Scripps Ranch, which is the name of the neighborhood in San Diego. Well, they Diego, have and, that like, whole YouTube channel where yeah, it was, like, exactly. all jokes about growing up there. <laughs> yeah, so, like, like reporting live from, like, the, the taco mm-hmm. shop. Yeah, that was very much my childhood. Hey, what's up? I'm Todd. What up, America? Uh, and this is Inside SoCal. We give you the inside scoop on the SoCal lifestyle. And now for our financial report, we're going to go to our boy Nate. What up, dude? Um, yeah, so like in financial news, um, Sean and I worked for my dad last weekend doing like landscaping and shit, and we got paid like 200 bucks each. Oh, stiff. If your daughter, who lives in Mexico City, uh-huh. and who's going to reach consciousness and mem- going to form core memories, yeah. If your daughter were to go from where she lives now to the to what's it called? Scripps Ranch. Scripps Ranch. What would her assessment be? Um, we we joked, by the way, that there should be a strip club there called Strips Ranch, but that has not <laughs> opened yet. Um, what would her assessment yeah. of it be? Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, she would probably be like, she would, the one of two things, she could, on the one hand, be like, this is freaking awesome. Like, you know, there's places to swim and walk and play. Or she could also be like, this is really boring. And 
why do I have to drive everywhere? So I guess it depends on which age she's at. Yeah. Okay. So um, you grew up in this... um, Inside SoCal. Inside SoCal. Okay. So you grow up inside SoCal. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. um, (laughs) If anyone wants to know how I grew up, just watch Inside Inside SoCal. SoCal. Yeah. Okay. You grow up there. You are then you go to La Jolla and you work at a as a hostess because you're pretty at a restaurant. Oh wow, that's what it is, <laughs> um, isn't it? Like a, the hot <laughs> girls are always the hostess. Well, also I didn't have any skill, so yeah, I didn't have any like waitressing skill. You only had to work one day a week all through high school. Um. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. What did you get to do with your money? Um. I mean, I think I was probably, like, supposed to save X percentage of it. Okay, um, but you didn't. You just spent wait, it. Wait, what did you— what I moved did... out when I was 16, so I spent it on rent. But before that, I had to pay my own lunch. My mom wouldn't pay for my lunch. Um, cigarettes, beer. Those are good things. Um, what else? I didn't have a car. Bus tickets, you know, to get around. Mm-hmm. Acid. <laughs> Acid was, like, the most— my my biggest expense Expensive. in like ninth and tenth grade, because it was like seven dollars. Which if a pack of cigarettes is one dollar and acid seven, it's kind of hard to like justify it. But I would just skip meals. So seven dollars per what? What do you call it? Like per hit? Per square? Per tab? Per experience? Per yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh huh. That was very expensive, especially because when I was working, it was like the minimum wage was like in the two or three dollar range. Right. So I would have to work for two or three hours to afford one hit of acid. One. Yeah. Budgeting. (laughs) Anyway. Get us up to where we are now. Um, If you just want to, like, list off the jobs that you had and what you remember making. Yeah. So after college, um, I had a job at a law firm in New York. Uh, I thought I wanted to be a lawyer and I thought it'd be good to work at a law firm for a while. Ended up definitely not wanting to go to law school or be a lawyer. But I... Why? Part of it is the dress code. I just (laughs) was like, I can't wear these suits every day. Like, I remember there was somebody, some other lawyer who's not from our firm who came in. And she was like in the kitchen or something of the office. And I was just like, she had like this colorful cool offbeat like still professional looking but like colorful like scarvy kind of like maybe she could also have been an art professor like it was like just not and I remember being like where did you get your like what um and we talked all about like the the dress code of law firms and like how stifling it is and anyway I think I just was exploring a really different side of myself. And it, and it had been um, a thing that I had said to everyone I was going to do and so told myself, like, I'm going to go to law school. And so it actually became kind of fun at some point to be like, I'm not even going to do the thing that I told everyone that I was going to do. Like, whoops. Like, I don't know. After that, I, I joined the Peace Corps. And like during that time, I just really reevaluated things. In there my are life. so many things about your life, I gotta say, Maya, that make you sound so rich. Like, <laughs> <laughs> like uh, joining the Peace Corps. How do you pay for life when you're in the Peace Corps? You don't. So you get to put all your loans on hold when you're in the Peace Corps. Nice. 
Like you get to literally press pause. You don't, they don't accrue interest. Mm-hmm. And then your expenses are covered when you're in there? Yeah, all okay. of your expenses are covered. Um, Where did you go? I was in Senegal in West Africa. Mm-hmm. So if you don't have a need to like bring in a lot of money for mm-hmm. two years, like, like it is definitely a privilege to not like have to bring in a certain amount to support your parents or somebody else. Do they pay you in the Peace Corps at all? Yeah. Um, so technically you're called a volunteer, um, but you do make a small stipend and it's enough to like survive in whatever country you're in. Are we talking hundreds or are we talking thousands a month? Gosh, I think it was a hundred dollars a month or something like that. Yeah. So then you get out of the Peace Corps. And then I got a job at the New York Times. <laughs> As um, one does. <laughs> as one does. And I'll t- I could tell you like how that happened. Tell me. So when I was in the Peace Corps, I was really interested, started to be interested in writing and in journalism. And um, a really smart friend of mine in the Peace Corps, because I was I had so I had lived in New York before and I was talking about going back to New York after. And I was like, oh, I guess when I go back to New York, I'll like start networking and journalism. And she was like, what are you talking about? You should network here in Senegal. And I was like, who is there to network with here in Senegal? And she's like, there's journalists all over the world, like international journalists based in Dakar. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I would reach out to people. And I ended up reaching out to the person that was then the, the New York Times bureau chief for West Africa. And he lived in Dakar. Yeah. So like through that connection is how I ended up getting a job at the New York Times. How much was your salary at the Times? $50,000 a year. Do you get any benefits with that or is it like a contract thing? No, I was staff, so I got health benefits and stuff. Then what? So then I really wanted to try to be a reporter and it was very hard to move up at the New York Times. So I had some mentors tell me like, you should try to go be a crime reporter in the South. And so I got a job at the Shreveport Times in Louisiana. And I think my salary was around $38,000 a year Mm -hmm. there. And then how long did you do that? I was there for a little over a year, and then I went to The Advocate in Baton Rouge, Louisiana, and made $42,000 a year. I did get raises there uh-huh. um, up to, I think I got up to like $50,000 there. Which and is then, significant. Like if you're talking starting at 40, that's pretty great. It's not like a 2%, yeah. 3% raise. You know, that's like a, that's like a, a merit raise. Yeah. And also, like, looking back on it, it was kind of amazing that I was able to get raises because then later at the L.A. Times, that was the job I had after that. It was really hard to get a raise. Really? Like, at, at all. Yeah. find inspiring stories almost anywhere. For instance, check out the co-founders of Girls Who Do Interiors. This Miami-based design company was started by three friends when they were still in school. And right from the start, they turned to Chase for Business for everything from banking and payment acceptance to credit cards. And they handled them all in one place with the Chase mobile app. It's so important to have that kind of help when you're just starting out. Learn more at chaseforbusiness.com. Make more of what's yours. 
Chase Mobile app is available for select mobile devices. Message and data rates may apply. J.P. Morgan Chase Bank, N.A. member FDIC. The most innovative companies are going further with T-Mobile for Business. The PGA of America is helping lower scores and elevate fan experiences with AI coaching tools and 5G-connected cameras. AAA is getting more drivers back on the road fast with location telematics. And the Las Vegas Grand Prix is powering race day operations with 5G connectivity, giving fans an experience at the speed they deserve. This is accelerating innovation with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at tmobile.com slash now. I want to be more like your parents as a parent, but like your parents couldn't be more different from my parents. Like my parents have a lot of ideas about like um, morals and money and ethics and money and like, you know, like the prosperity gospel shit. And like, if you're not working really hard all the time, you're not going to appreciate what you have, that kind of stuff. Um, Mm -hmm. And that no one should get a handout, all that crap. Mm. I I don't agree with it now, but um. Can you just talk to me about, like, what, what your parents... Um, taught me about money. Yeah. And wh- what did they get taught about money? I feel like I grew up feeling like money was not something that should be your main goal in life. Mm-hmm. And that, um, you know, that the people who did really prioritize money or want to make a lot of money were, like lame and stupid and like didn't have any culture and like you don't want to be like that like you want to be someone who changes the world or like at least like tries to make the world a better place Mm -hmm. isn't trying to like take resources from other people and you should want to make like enough money but 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 that's kind of where I interrogate have now interrogated that further because I'm like what is enough or like what like you should just want to make like an amount that sort of maintains sort of your current standard of living, mm-hmm. um, which now I believe is actually a lot of money. You know, yeah. <laughs> like, my ideas were very like you should study hard and then like hopefully you'll get to do something that you really love and that's really cool. And, you know, like you're not going to be not making any money, but but the paycheck is not something that you should be thinking about. Like that's mm-hmm. kind of, I think the, the mentality that I grew up with, mm-hmm. I guess they probably saw themselves as like intellectuals or whatever. Like they kind of felt like if you're doing something that's really interesting and impactful, like that is like, that has the most cachet. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think my mom had, had a similar mindset. Like she went to a, a school that was very social justice oriented. She felt like the people who, you know, they just like ha- maybe they own a home and they have their little yard and they have, you know, just like the things they need, like that that's like honorable, that it's like actually honorable to not make a lot of money. Um, that's like what she believed. I wish that was like true still i know and like that you didn't have to be a millionaire to have a little tiny house yeah and that's why i kind of am like i think that it's a little maybe simplistic to be just like oh you know like you don't need you don't need anything and just you know put your head down and save your pennies it's like 
that's not gonna how money work, works like, anymore. <laughs> yeah, like, you're gonna have to like be pretty smart about what's happening um, and be really honest with yourself about what kind of life you want. Tell me about your move and how that, like the money decisions around your move. So we were in Seattle because we really didn't like the place that we were living in in L.A., which was like surrounded by barbed wire and not great. Um, So we moved to Seattle to be near my sister, whose kid is the same age as ours. And then um, we decided to move to Mexico City, which is where we are now. You know, that was basically an opportunity that came up because of my husband's job. And it was not like a mandatory thing, but it was like, you can like you could live in Mexico City and continue to expand your portfolio of work in Latin America. And so it was just an exciting thing. I think we kind of also felt like we have a few more chances maybe to move before our kid turns five and needs to go to kindergarten. Mm -hmm. I think in terms of the money considerations, I think that it did feel attractive and interesting to move to a place where we could save some serious money Mm -hmm. and also just be living in a really interesting international city. And I mean, it should also be said that like it is very colonialist to decide as an American that you want to live in Mexico. Like Mm -hmm. there's a lot of people around the world that would love to just decide to live in the U.S. and they can't. So it's not something that I take lightly and like It is very complicated to just move somewhere like this. Is there anything that since you've been there where you're like, wow, this is so much cheaper? Oh, um, we have a personal trainer. Oh. Jesse and I go together and it's $25 a session for both of us. Wow. That's so good. Now you're living in Mexico City. You're living off of his income. Yeah. You're saving your income. Yeah. What would you say your net worth is right now? Do you own anything? No, we don't own anything. Okay. We don't own cars. We we sold both of our cars before moving here. Do you have debt? No. We actually just paid off Jesse's and mine. Well, mine were technically paid off a bit beforehand, but we just paid off Jesse's uh, maybe a year or two ago. His student loans? Yeah. Oh, my God. He's 48. 48. Oh, my God. And he just paid off his student loans. That's amazing. That's criminal. Yeah, I know. So I think together, we our net worth is like $400,000. Wow. So it's basically, yeah, retirement and then, I guess, some savings and cash. I feel like we've talked about this before, but if you just want to refresh me, like, the choice to have one or two or more kids mm. for you really came down to money. I mean, in in part, we've decided to have one kid just because we really don't think we can handle two. Like, <laughs> our one is, she's amazing, and she's just a huge personality. Mm-hmm. And she's three. So I'm like, we can't have another. <laughs> like, I forget how people do this again. <laughs> but it is also partially like, we're like in a good place now and I don't want to go backward. I want to feel like we're like 
putting money away and I don't know, moving forward and maybe going to be able to buy a house one day or something. Is that your main purchase that you're looking forward to? I would say that's the main one, although there's this part of me that is like, maybe we're just not those people. Like, is there another part of you that's like, we'll take the savings and then not really have to work much and live in an RV? Not in an RV. Why? Um, (laughs) But I want an RV. (laughs) Because I I don't know, like, I've never like personally. Houseboat? My thing is more like maybe we are just the type of people that are just going to keep moving around. To cities. And yeah. Yeah. To like cool cities. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Um, Or like, I mean, I would love to live in Europe one day. Like, yeah, in terms of the money savings, like, yeah, it's just it's um, to me, it kind of represents like freedom and stability mm-hmm. and, and knowing like even having an emergency savings account now mm-hmm. I've I've found how freeing that is to be like yeah we're gonna be okay what is enough money is it are you there is that the feeling you're having right now I mean I'm one of those people who there's like different categories of enough mm-hmm. <laughs> like you know there's enough like I have and always have had more than enough, you know, like I, I have food and I have people around me who I love, who love me. And I have like a life and that's enough. Mm -hmm. And at the same time, like, are there other things that I really want that would feel even more like, oh, okay, like now we're good or like, you know, I mm-hmm. just really want to get to that place. Like, yeah, like there's still I recognize that I don't need those things. Do you do you know what that place is like dollar wise or like possessions wise? I mean, like I think possessions wise, it's having like a like a soaking tub or like a <laughs> a bathtub that I feel like everywhere, I, not everywhere. Um, I think you could probably do that right now. A soaking tub? How much is a soaking like, tub? But I can't, like, I rent. Like, I can't, like, bring in. Sure you can. Maybe. Yeah, there's no room for it, though, because oh. there's, like, an a, a existing. I feel like everywhere I live, I can't have a hot bath because it doesn't. It doesn't work. Like, it, like there's only so much hot water, mm. and then it starts to go cold, mm-hmm. you know? And mm-hmm. so, like, that's one of those things where I'm like, one day. One day I'm going to have like a piping hot bath and like a huge soaking tub. You can come over to my house. Next time you come to L.A., I'll let you soak in my tub. Yeah, we can enjoy the drought together. Um, Yeah. I know it's fun and and kind of voyeuristic to dig into other people's finances. Mm -hmm. Um, How does it feel having the table turned? Yeah, I think as of a few years ago, I would have been like, oh, I don't think I could do that. Um, Like, these are conversations that I have a lot. There's always a risk when you talk about how much money you make that somebody's going to, like, have a judgment about it. Mm. Like, you sound so rich. Like, that was, like, interesting feedback to get because it's like, that's your reaction. Like, I think I wonder, like if it makes you not like me as much or, like, think something about me. 
I think that is why people are uncomfortable is like they're worried about like not really the number almost, yeah. but like what what's the like added thing that someone's going to say, you know. Do you feel like it's important work? Yes, I, I really do. Um, the more I talk to people about this, um, like, and the, and the more just I, I learn for myself, like, oh, this is how much someone makes. Like, it's just information and it's transparency. And yeah, so I think it's really great to learn, like, oh, that's an amount that is you can make if you want. Mm-hmm. And so I think for that reason, it's good. And I also just think, yeah, just the the questions that inspire the most um, anxiety, like sometimes just that is that says something that says there's something that needs to come out or there's something there that's worth exploring. So, yeah, I definitely do feel like I wouldn't like pat myself on the back and be like, I'm like, you know, saving the world. Um, But I do think like there is I hope that there's good being done. Yeah, Maya, um, I would love to have you back on this show anytime. Oh, awesome. I, it would be <laughs> an honor. It would be an honor to be able to do this. No, thank you so much, though, for being so open. Sure. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Other People's Pockets. And hey, this is a new show, so if you like it, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. It really, really helps us out. Other People's Pockets is written and hosted by me, Maya Lau. It's produced by me, along with Joy Sanford and Dan Gallucci. Production help from Angela Vang. Our executive producers are me, along with Jane Marie and Dan Gallucci. A special thanks to Scripps Ranch. Other People's Pockets is a co-production of Pushkin Industries and Little Everywhere. To find more Pushkin podcasts, listen on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you love this show, consider subscribing to Pushkin Plus, offering bonus content and ad-free listening across our network for $4.99 a month. Look for the Pushkin Plus channel on Apple Podcasts or at pushkin.fm. You can sign up for Pushkin newsletters at pushkin.fm. And find me on Twitter at Maya Lau or on Instagram and TikTok at It's Maya Money. Also, we are putting together a sort of recipe book for how you cope with capitalism. And we want to hear how you're all doing it. You know, like, what is your home recipe for how you figured out your finances in this crazy world we live in? Leave us a voicemail at 323-540-4255, letting us know some tips, tricks, and trade secrets. That's 323-540-4255. Or you could record a voice memo on your phone and email it to otherpeoplespockets at gmail.com. 